Welcome to Lincoln Log, where we speak with leading historians and other officials about their stories, research, and wisdom. Expand your knowledge and indulge your curiosity here on Lincoln Log. This podcast is produced by the Abraham Lincoln Association, aiding and promoting Abraham Lincoln's life and legacy. Founded in 1908, the ALA remains the nation's oldest and largest Lincoln organization. Learn more at abrahamlincolnassociation.org. Greetings. I am your host, Joshua Claiborne, and I am pleased to welcome Dick Hart to our Lincoln Log podcast. Dick is an attorney and a historian in Springfield, Illinois. For decades, Hart has been a recognized leader in Springfield's historic preservation movement and led efforts to save the Elijah Isles House and restore it to serve as a museum. Hart published several studies of Lincoln Springfield and is past president of the Abraham Lincoln Association. Dick, thank you for joining the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Um, I, I view you as one of the uns, unsung heroes in Lincoln scholarship because you are continually churning out original research, not just some of these biographies that stand on the shoulders of prior giants, but one of those giants who really does the hard work of providing us with original scholarship particularly on Springfield and the surrounding area. Um, the Spring Creek series focused initially on the city's black community, but has really grown to address many areas of Springfield and the area. Could you summarize that research and your motivation for it? Well, uh, thank you very much, Jack. Um, it's as a lawyer um, and one who doesn't play golf. So I have, <laughs> I have a lot of free time. And so my free time I've spent on um, my love, which is local history. And um, in looking at local history, you look at the minutia, the, the, the little, little pieces of, uh, of fact that make up uh, a story and, and are, uh, can tell a, a, a larger story when it's all put together. And so as far as the, um, my interest in African-American history, which had been totally neglected in Springfield, uh, there had been nothing written about it really. And um, I recall a Sangamon County historical meeting one evening when the president, Carol Hall, said something to me about, well, Dick, you know, there is a, a huge amount of information that's never been revealed about the African-American history of uh, early Springfield. And I said, what? Uh, what, are you, what are you saying? And so he kind of prompted my interest. And so from that point, and thank goodness for the uh, internet and the uh, ability to use that internet to acquire information, I would be doing research and I'd run across some information about uh, African-Americans in Springfield. So I would kind of put that in a pile and I, the pile got larger and larger and larger. And finally, it spoke to me and it said, there is so much information here that has not been disclosed that it's worthy of being shared. And so that's kind of how it started. And it, uh, the search, I guess, lasted over probably 10 or 15 years of just accumulating material and then putting it in what I guess is maybe a very lawyerly fashion. I try not to give opinions or try not to uh, sway people other than with facts. Right. And the facts that I have are facts from, from census data, from newspaper reports at the time, um, and from uh, other um, contemporary resources of, of letters or people's memoirs or whatever. And 
when I put this together in a chronological order and it, it just kept growing and growing, I, it, it's absolutely floored me as to the presence of African-Americans in Lincoln Springfield and the total uh, impact that had on the environment of Springfield, which was Lincoln's environment. Right. And it had been totally ignored. It had just never been uh, even acknowledged other than Billy the Barber, Florable, who was Lincoln's barber. And I called him kind of the token African-American in Lincoln Springfield. But he was just one of, um, of so, so many that uh, had close contacts with Lincoln. Um, the classic one is Jameson Jenkins, who was a conductor on the Underground Railroad and lived a half a block south of the Lincolns. Mm. And uh, uh, Jenkins was a friend of Abraham Lincoln's and he was uh, running an underground railroad, which obviously Lincoln knew about. And, yeah. uh, and there'd never been anything spoken about this before. So I hope that maybe gives you an idea of how it started and, and, um, and how I accumulated this information. Yeah, just to give our listeners a better sense of the scope of your work, the Spring Creek series alone provides by my count over 28 publications, most of it, like we talked about original source material, which is just really remarkable. Um, why do you see that as so important? And, and how, how do you hope that influences future historians? Well, again, I'm driven by my professional career, which is as a lawyer and looking at facts and accumulating facts and putting them in some logical order so that they, they tell a story which is like writing a brief for an appellate court. Um, and so that's what I think has driven me. Um, and then I'm just so curious about the, the little people in Springfield who participated in the daily life of the community in some way or another, whether they were a hotel keeper, whether they were um, a drayman, a person that uh, had a cart that went around hauling things for people, whether they were uh, a photographer. I've done a book on the photographers of Springfield, um, but it's the minutia. Um, circuses, I did one on circuses, which was kind of tongue in cheek when I started out, uh, you know, the circuses of Lincoln Springfield. But when I finished, it was unbelievable how many circuses had come through town and how Lincoln absolutely loved the circuses. And he would take kids to the circuses from the neighborhood. He'd gather them up and take them to the circuses. So it's the minutia, I think, of that. But to me, the minutia is so important. It is so important. And it's so uh, accessible if you look. And I don't mean to demean or to put down any um, historians, but so many glaze over the the digging part. Right. Of or they just repackage what's already out there. Yes, and just repackage it and put it up as a, as a new thought or a new right. way of thinking about things. But there's really nothing added. Right. And so I've tried to avoid that. And um, and one of my best friends, Michael Burlingame, uh, and, and we've been friends for years. And when he was writing the, the magnum opus, uh, he would come to Springfield and stay with us. And, um, and so we've been, we've been friends forever. But we couldn't differ more on some of our opinions about Lincoln, and in particular, Thomas Lincoln. I'm just a great, great fan of Thomas Lincoln as a man, 
standing alone, <clears throat> not putting him in terms of, oh, he was the father of Abraham Lincoln. So let's try to figure out if he was a good or a bad father. I looked at him as a man and mm -hmm. as a person who was involved in his community. And well, my... Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you brought him up because I definitely wanted to address him. He's a major supporter of Thomas Lincoln, um, Abraham's father of the year. As we know, you mentioned not just Michael Burlingham, but really many other historians have really viewed him in a negative light, calling him shiftless, mean, or discouraging his intellectual growth. You're one of the more outspoken Thomas Lincoln defenders, and I tend to agree with you. So could you expound on why you, def why you believe Thomas Lincoln was such a positive or at least not so much of a negative influence as other people seem to suggest. Sure, sure. And again, I, I think my, my, my basis for my analysis is, goes back again to this, look at the facts. Don't, don't go and look at what somebody said to Herndon 60 years after the event. And I mean, Herndon's fine, but look at the facts. Let's go to the census data. Let's go to the um, the minutes of the, of the churches that he belonged to. Let's look at his furniture that he created. You know, that is his collected works as uh, the furniture that he made. And let's look at the fact that he served on juries. And let's look at the fact that he was um, considered in his church to be a very valuable contributor to uh, the church, helping build the church that he lived in. He was on the frontier of American civilization without Thomas Lincoln and his ilk there would be no Western frontier. And they brought the very basic elements of Western civilization to the frontier mm -hmm. and established it here in a way that they should be very proud of. And to negate that with uh, what I call really kind of, um, oh, <laughs> uh, inappropriate analysis of his appearance or his, um, uh, his ability to do things, uh, I think, was started with the Scripps story mm. that was put out for the election of Abraham Lincoln. And that Scripps story had to elevate Abraham Lincoln to the position of being almost a god. And to do that, you put his father down as far as you possibly could, because that made the son look better. Right. But when you look at Thomas Lincoln as a man, and look at what he did and uh, the family that he raised, the education that he tried to get for his family, every opportunity there was on the Western frontier where they lived, where there was a subscription school of any kind, his kids went to school. Mm -hmm. And that may have not have been a, 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 the finest education in the world, but I think even David Donald said, my gosh, if, if that's the education it took to make an Abraham Lincoln, let's have more of it, you know. Um, but Thomas Lincoln was a man of his time. He was a man of his place. And he, he, he was among his peers. He was considered to be an honorable man and one who had uh, contributed greatly to his community. And I think that he's really just been put down in ways without people looking at, uh, at the real facts of, um, of what his environment was. That, uh, I, my in. sense is there's, there's is a slow shift towards your view. Um, maybe I'm wrong and I'm seeing what I want to see, but I'm starting to see that shift. And I really think you're a big part of that. You've really carried the water a lot on rehabilitating Thomas Lincoln's, uh, you know, reputation. 
Well, thank you. I hope so. Um, I um, it's one of my fervent um, <laughs> beliefs about Thomas Lincoln and and Michael, who's one as I say, one of my best friends. And we go round and round over it. And um, and I say, well, you're wrong. He says, oh, you're wrong. <laughs> and the title of one of his chapters is "Once I Was a Slave." Yeah. And, you know, I mean, come on. Uh, the fact that uh, Thomas Lincoln had his son working in the farm, a subsistence farm, not even an agricultural farm like we would think of today, but a subsistence farm like thousands and thousands of other children did uh, who lived on the farms of their parents on the frontier. Everybody did. And even today, if you know any farm families, right, because I represent a lot of farm families in central Illinois. And the kids work, and that's that's part of that's part of the life of uh, being a farm person. Right. And to say that that is somehow degrading and and uh, and taking advantage of this person and making them a quote slave, I think is just way way over the top. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Michael was a guest on this podcast early on, and and I asked him about Thomas and pushed him a little bit, and you know I got the sense he. I don't know if he would characterize it as relenting or changing his view, but that was certainly my impression that he was warming up to Thomas Lincoln. And I think well, that's I'm happy to hear you. I'm happy to hear you say that um, uh, because I had the same impression. Uh, I think he has warmed up a little bit, but, uh, uh, but um, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And I don't want to, again, refer to any particular person, but, when I went through and looked at Thomas Lincoln, I looked at the 1810 census of Hardin County, which tells a great story. Mm -hmm. It tells so many stories that census does. It tells the story of African-American presence in Hardin County, which was huge. The number of slaves there were in, Af in Hardin County and in proximity to where the Lincolns lived. Mm -hmm. The number of Catholics that were in close proximity to in Bardstown and in uh, the area where the Lincolns lived on Knob Creek. Uh, Zachariah Riney, the first teacher of, uh, of Abraham Lincoln, you know, was a Catholic, staunch Catholic. Yeah. And there's just so many elements of that environment that have not been addressed. They just haven't been. It just, uh, you know, it's, it's like, oh, well, it was the frontier and everybody lived in a log cabin and uh, they, you know, worked in the fields and, um, and they were ignorant and they, uh, you know, they went to church on Sundays, and um, and that's about all you can say about them. Well, there's right. a heck of a lot more to be said. Right. Well, we, we I mentioned your output with the Spring Creek series, over 28 publications. Um, just like I said, remarkable. What is the secret to your productive output? You missed, or you, you suggest you don't golf, um, <laughs> but I think your 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 output for original research is. Uh, unparalleled or at least matches what I see from others. What's your method for researching and writing? Well, um, there's no method in the madness, I guess, but I use the internet. I just feel blessed that I was born at a time when I could still learn to use the internet. I wasn't too old mm -hmm. and that the internet has just been exploding with information that's available that hasn't been in the past. And so that's the primary method is using the internet and all the resources that are available. And then to have two or three things going at once. Um, and um, so it seems like I've always got two or three quote books going at the same time and I'll work on one for a while and, and then I'll shift and go to another one and work on it for a while and then back and forth. 
And so, for instance, right now I'm working on um, um, three. One is um, the Germans in Lincoln Springfield, the German community was huge in Springfield and, uh, and the proximity of the Germans to the Lincoln home uh, and their interaction with Lincoln. And that's another aspect of the ethnicity of Springfield at the time mm -hmm. Lincoln was there. That's not, not really been picked up by historians. Um, another one is on um, the, um, uh, <laughs> the Catholic presence in Hardin mm -hmm. County uh, Kentucky, which I had never known about. Yeah. And I, I have delved into it. And I mean, it just blows my mind what was happening in close proximity to where the Lincolns lived on Knob Creek and what was happening at, happening at Bardstown and in the surrounding area with the Catholics that came down from Maryland in, um, in various uh, groups in the late 1790s and 80s. Um, and then I'm working on one called um, Thomas Lincoln's World, The People. And it's kind of a, um, oh, encyclopedia of just people, the names of people and who they were. Because I, sometimes I'd get confused by, okay, who's, which gentry is this or, uh, you know, uh, which Grigsby is this? And so I've started to put together kind of an um, encyclopedia, I guess, of these people who he would have known and been aware of and would have interacted with. So those are three that I'm kind of working on right now. And That's remarkable. And That's great. Well, um, and if folks are interested in accessing these works, at least the Spring Creek series, and I know much of your others, we've put available online on the Abraham Lincoln Association website. Um, which is abrahamlincolnassociation.org. But I'm curious from a publishing standpoint, um, have you gone to one of the more typical book publishers or is that your plan or do you really enjoy doing this for the masses and making it available for free for anybody like on the ALA website as an example? Yeah, well, um, I certainly am not doing it for the money. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, it's, it's costing me money. <clears throat> and I'm certainly not doing it for the fame or any kind of, uh, I guess, greater recognition. Um, I don't want to waste my time with publishers um, yeah. because I think you can get consumed with a book and um, that book can take over your life, basically, as far yeah. as uh, what they're required to do. So I'm my own publisher and I do what I think is best and get it done uh, promptly. And, um, and then what I, my, my, I don't, I, I place them out for sale at local bookshops okay. in Springfield. And so they are for sale there. I sell them at my cost to print them from the capital blueprint company in Springfield. Uh, I always put one at each of the libraries in uh, the presidential library and then the Lincoln library in Springfield and then UIS university of Illinois at Springfield. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's about the extent of, of my reaching out. Um, and then I really appreciate so much what you have done in terms of putting them online so that they're available to the public. Uh, so um, that's, that's about it on, on what I have done as far as uh, publication. Mm -hmm. 
we could switch gears just a little bit to uh, Lincoln and the wider culture, I'm, I'm curious, I, I know you're an astute observer of um, current events and culture and politics. Uh, we've seen um, the so-called cancel culture come from many folks and under, understandably in many situations with sort of the con Confederate leaders, et cetera. But there's been some concern among uh, some Lincoln historians that Lincoln has been caught up in that unfairly. Are you concerned about that? Um, that as we look through historic figures through our modern day lenses, that um, that one day will cause us to um, not only view Lincoln unfavorably, but for instance, calls to take down monuments or statues or that sort of thing. What's your take on on that that possible debate? Yeah. Well, I'm, um, I guess I'm a naysayer on um, a lot of it. Um, the story of, of our Western civilization is fraught with good people and bad people. And, um, and, and some are a mixture of both. And most, most often they're a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you, you know, I just heard this morning something about Winston Churchill. Well, he was, they took his bust out of the, um, the Oval Office, and I think, well, it was because he was um, a colonialist um, in England and, you know, the colonies that they had and the empire they had. But my God, he saved us from Nazism and, and Hitler. And, right. and, and so there's got to be a balance. And what are the alternatives? Are you saying that there cannot be any idolization of people because of the good things that they may have done? And even uh, to the extent that you ignore the good things and say they did one bad thing and therefore change the whole uh, judgment of that particular person. I'm not for that. I think we all have faults. I think that, um, yes, there should be some recognition of the Southern generals maybe um, who were uh, pro-slavery. Uh, obviously, that's not a good thing. But I think there comes a point where you just are overwhelmed with judgmental um, conclusions that lead to destructive behavior, and that's not good. Yeah. Um, with the larger Lincoln community, um, we obviously have the Abraham Lincoln Association, which you and I are both a part of. There is the Lincoln Forum, and then there is the Abraham Lincoln Institute. And those are just just three. Um, I know there are others, although I would view those three as sort of the leading um, Lincoln historic organizations. Um, what's your view on having three different organizations of that type? I mean, do you feel like there should be one? And I know for some of our listeners, this may seem like inside baseball. What do I care about? You know, the different organizations, but um, you know, I think they're they're important to. Uh, preserve and carry on the Lincoln history. And so you want to do that in the most efficient way possible. How do you feel about having those three different organizations? Is it a good setup? Should there be some combination or what's your take there? No, I think it's excellent. Um, I'm a firm believer in competition. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is somewhat competition. Um, and then you have like the Lincoln Lore Magazine, which comes out. I, I mean, it's, it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And I compare that then to For the People, which is the newsletter of the Abraham Lincoln Association or the Journal of the Abraham Lincoln Association. No, I, don't, I think that the tent is huge and it can accommodate 
any number of organizations. Um, geographically, it might be, it's, it's probably good because uh, they um, perhaps are available for people who wouldn't otherwise be able to uh, attend an event, say in Springfield, Illinois, or in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, you have different places that people can go to. So I say the more the merrier. Uh, and the more information that people can uh, share um, just enlarges the uh, possible understandings that we have of not only Lincoln, not only Lincoln, but his world and the people that lived around him and, um, and, the, uh, and the environment of our, uh, our nation. And why, did, why, did, why was it so unique that uh, it brought about these institutions, which I think are so valuable. Right. Um, and so, no, I think I'm all in favor, I'm all in favor of uh, multiple Lincoln organizations. Hmm, that's good. Uh, what would you say is your proudest uh, professional accomplishment? So what do you think deserves particular attention when it comes time to pin your obituary decades? Oh my from gosh. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think historic preservation has really been a large part of my life. Um, the Elijah Isles house was um, going to be basically um, let, let to fall into hands that might have not taken care of it. And there was a group, I was just one of many who uh, at the outset um, uh, felt that that was not something that should happen and got together and created a corporation not for profit, and um, and then over a period of twenty years, you know, we've we've moved it, we've restored it, we've uh, written about it, we've uh, had programs, and it's it's really become an absolutely gem of the city of Springfield, and uh, it tells many stories that are ancillary to the Lincoln story but they also are contributors to a better understanding of the environment that Lincoln was in. Yeah, and I guess just for our listeners who may not know, the Elijah Isles House, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the oldest structure in Springfield? Well, some people said, we have, we have contenders who argue with us, but it's the oldest structure in it's the same condition. I see. Architecturally that it was. The uh, Springfield Art Association says that their building is older, but it's only one little section that predates it and it's, it's been toyed with and changed so much that you, it doesn't reflect its original architecture. Sure. Uh -huh. okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. I mean, I can understand as you point out why it's important to preserve Springfield because it gives you a sense of the environment that Lincoln really blossomed and, and came into his own as an, as an attorney, as, as a politician there in Springfield. Of course, I would argue that his uh, time in Southern Indiana was just as important. Oh my gosh. There. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. I think those areas have been ignored. That's the whole thing about Thomas Lincoln and, and uh, his time in, in Spencer County and um, Southern Indiana is so important. Right. Well, um, Dick, I really appreciate your time. We'd like to end these podcasts where our guests offer their favorite Lincoln anecdote or Lincoln story. So I want to give you an opportunity to share. Oh, your my, gosh. Oh, my favorite Lincoln story. Um, Oh, uh, I guess my favorite Lincoln story uh, would be when he was campaigning for uh, the House of Representatives and he was running against Peter Cartwright, who was a Methodist minister. And he was um, uh, out on the circuit. They were, they were uh, the two of them were out together 
campaigning and um uh and peter cart got right up and stood and said all right everyone here who is going to heaven raise your hand and so everybody in the crowd raised their hand except mr lincoln and Cartwright said, look at this man. He won't raise his hand. Mr. Lincoln, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to, to the House of Representatives. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, that's just one of many, many stories of, that are uh, of, of humorous stories about Lincoln. It's a short one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dick, I really appreciate, again, your time and um, especially appreciate all of the tremendous uh, work you continue to do on behalf of Lincoln Scholarship. And I can't uh, recommend it enough for our listeners. If uh, if you're interested in um, Springfield, Illinois, original scholarship, Dick Hart is your man. And we've endeavored to put much of that online on the Abraham Lincoln Association website at uh, abrahamlincolnassociation.org. Thanks again for joining yeah. us. Thank you, Josh, very much. Thank you for listening to Lincoln Log. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you like this podcast, please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review. This helps other people find the show.